Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. There's about seven and a half billion people in the world. And what I don't think any of us need is another opinion. I think we all need wisdom and more of it. So I'm really glad to welcome Dan Britton to the show. He uh, co-wrote a book with Ron Forseth, and the book is called The Wisdom Challenge, Life-Changing Principles and Lessons from Proverbs and the Life of King Solomon. Dan uh, serves as the chief field officer with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He's written a number of books, and I'm awfully glad to be having him on the show. Dan, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Great to be on the show with you. Thanks. Here's my three favorite Proverbs, and I I refer to them regularly. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool delights in airing his own opinions. Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool hates correction. And Proverbs 12.15 says, The fool thinks he's right all the time. (laughs) (laughs) They're, they're kind of companions, all three of those verses. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's quite the, the package of verses. Yeah, wow. Well, I think we all gravitate towards certain Proverbs that we love and appreciate more than others. I, 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 I agree completely. So I love this book that you wrote with Ron. Okay, who worked harder, you or Ron? Uh, since he's not on? Yeah. Ron works harder. How about that? <laughs> I didn't see that answer coming, but way to go. I know, yeah. I know, I know. I'm just yeah. trying to live out wisdom, trying to live out wisdom. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I like you already, Dan. Let's talk about just why you decided to write this book, why you and Ron said, let's write a book on the life of Solomon and the teaching of Proverbs. Well, Bill, it, it, it was a broken plight. You know, I, I think as I've grown in my faith over the years, some 54 came to Christ at age eight, been walking with Jesus for 45 years, and the more that I see, God loves broken plays, right? Things that weren't planned, they weren't supposed to happen. The wisdom challenge was not supposed to happen. So Ron and I are 20-plus year friends. We, we've known each other for a long time. He was with an organization. I was with FCA. I've been with FCA for over 30 years. And, and we went, man, our two ministries, our two organizations could work together and do amazing things. That's partners. So we met probably a half dozen times strategized, came up with things, and Bill, guess what? Nothing happened. <laughs> like it was it was a belly flop. It yeah. was a stone balloon. It was it was crazy. It was like thing like both of us were like, this is the easiest partnership in the world. And it didn't happen. But guess what God it intended? A friendship. So out from this like trying to make things happen, the broken play was Ron and I became buddies. We became friends. We became best friends. And God allowed us to continue to connect together. And so just quickly, Bill, uh, I just want to share with you that in 2012, Ron called me up in the spring of 2012. He says, hey, Dan, he says, man, my faith has been really, I've been a rocky kind of just dry season. Last month, God led me to the Proverbs. I read through Proverbs. And man, my heart just is just exploding with just passion for Jesus. I'm like, I'm like, Ron, like, that's awesome. I've been doing that for 20 years, been reading through Proverbs, a proverb a day keeps Satan away, you know, 31 Proverbs, we got it. And he's like, no, 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 I want to do next month Proverbs with you. I'm like, okay, what, like, read it together? And he goes, no, 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 you read it, I read it, 
we go through it together and then we share with each other through a text or a phone call or email just what God revealed to us. I'm like, well, that sounds simple enough. He goes, yeah, I call this the wisdom challenge. Let's challenge each other in wisdom. From the first of the, uh, the month, we're going to go through Proverbs 1. So, Bill, I read through Proverbs 1. I texted him, hey, God revealed this verse to me, man, planted by the streams. Gosh, you know, we got to be plugged into the source. He sent back another verse. I was like, man, that's great. We're texting back and forth. We're sharpening each other. I could not wait, Bill, for the next morning to see what God laid on his heart. Was it the same verse that God put on my heart? Was it a different verse? And 10 days into it, I just felt like it was a double blessing. Mm-hmm. Not only was I experiencing God's word, but, but Ron was filling me up with how God was meeting Jesus every day. And we did it for 31 days, and that was the wisdom challenge. That, that's how it started. I love the accountability uh, element, Dan, as well. This is very cool that you guys were looking forward to every day, seeing what wisdom was going to come from each other. Yes, and, and that is a key component. Is uh, For us, we, we kind of say the wisdom challenge is three simple things, is pursue, partner, and pass it on. And that's what it is. It's, it's hey, we're going to make a, a personal commitment to pursue wisdom every day by reading a proverb a day. The second thing is I'm not going to do it solo, isolated, which Christians love to do. <laughs> we love to be isolated, do our own little thing, our own little Bible study, staring at our own spiritual belly button. But instead, we're going to share that with others. And so the partner with is that we're going to partner with others, the power of with. That's when Ron came in. And now that was double fold, the double blessing. And at the end of the month, he challenged me. He goes, hey, so who are you going to do it next month with? And I'm like, with you? <laughs> I think it was so good. Like, let's do it all over again. He goes, no, 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 no. You got to find someone else. You got to pass it on. And I was like, okay, I'll pray about it. So the next day I said, hey, the Lord led my son, Eli, to be able to go through Proverbs together. And he was in high school at the time. And so Eli and I read through the book of Proverbs together, 31 days. And I'm telling you, Bill, like, this is the first time. And again, we have Bible studies. We go to church. We go to FCA camps. We're, like, our house is covered with Jesus. And it was the first time that I saw how Eli looked at Scripture on a daily basis. It gave me a window into his soul. And suddenly, like, my faith, my relationship with Eli grew from simply doing the wisdom challenge with him. So, Dan, you're two for two right now. You've got this deep friendship with Ron, and you've got this new window of understanding with Eli. So you're, you're two for two at this point. Yeah, well, and it continued on. So then after Eli, <laughs> I'm like, okay, who's next? And I'm praying about it. And the Lord led me to, to Andre. He's our, at the time, he was our Ukraine national director with FCA, nominal leader who I'm very close with. And I said, Andre, let's do this wisdom challenge. He's like, okay, let's do it. So for 31 days, obviously he's ahead of me, seven, eight hours, depending on the time zone. And uh, next thing you know, Andre and I are journeying through Proverbs together. God did the same thing with Andre and I. Like, it was, like, amazing. And he took it, started sharing it with his staff and his friends and his church, and that began to multiply throughout all of Ukraine. So are you— Three for three. Three for three. Now, are you finding fresh material with Andre, or are you doing some recycling from Ron and Eli? Oh, you're the first person that's asked that question. I love it. <laughs> well, I mean, you so, know, if you make this incredible discovery, I mean, to me, that's why you pass it on to the next person because you want to encourage them and uplift them. Yeah, I, I think I, it's interesting. I, I would say just like you went through and you had three favorite proverbs you yep. pulled out. 
I would probably say out of the 31 chapters, after doing this dozens of times with dozens of different people, uh, there's my favorite verse of the chapter. And, and obviously, you try to lean into that and you go, hey, I'll just share that one because that's one of my favorite. Sure. That's the one my dad taught me or my mom shared with me or I learned in high school. But I would say every time that I do that, Bill, it's like God reveals a new one. Like, for example, this morning, I'm going through Proverbs this month with Calvin, a friend here in Kansas City that I've known for 30 years back in Virginia. He moved back to Kansas City, and we're now reengaged, and we're going through Proverbs together. And there was a verse that popped up this morning. I'm like, that's my favorite verse for, t- for this chapter. <laughs> but yeah. guess what? what? The, Lord re- the Lord revealed a different verse. And he challenged me. He's like, are you going to share old manna or are you going to share fresh manna? Nice. And I was like, man, I, so guess what I did? I shared the fresh manna. I was like, I'm not going to go back to the well. I'm going to share what God revealed to me about, hey, we, we determine our plans, but God determines our steps. And so we plan, God determines, like the sovereignty of God. That was my message that I shared with Calvin today. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, I love Proverbs. My little nephew who just graduated uh, from eighth grade, he went to a Christian school, and one of the um, prerequisites, if you start in first grade, is by the end of eighth grade, you will have memorized the entire book of Proverbs. What? That is amazing. Yeah, and he can nail the whole thing. It's frightening. So I digress. I'm talking about my my, my nephew's son right now. So let's let's get back to your book, you and, wow. and Ron's book. Um, let's talk about the life of Solomon. Um, how do we, how do we sum this up? Well, Pretty, it's hard to sum up, right? It is, but I mean, wild. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's interesting. Solomon, who is known as Mister Wisdom, wasn't too wise in how he lived. I mean, you know, with the what six hundred wives thousand wives, 600 concubines, like he, he didn't live. It feels like at times you look at his life, more failure than success, but yet he's known as the guy that prayed the prayer and didn't ask for the riches, didn't ask for glory, didn't ask for power, but actually prayed for understanding of heart. Actually, it says in the scripture that he prayed that God will grant him understanding of heart. So the simplicity of praying that prayer, which I think Sometimes we, we need to pray that on a daily basis. God, give me understanding of heart. Give me the wisdom. And James spells it out right very clear that we shouldn't even ask. Like, we shouldn't we should ask generously, and God gives generously. Like, he won't just give you a little bit, but if we pray, we ask God of the universe for wisdom, he'll give back generously. And I think the biggest problem here, Solomon maybe didn't put a lot of wisdom into practice, it's here we as followers of Christ and believers, we read Proverbs, which is mostly written by Solomon. We go to the source and we say, this is not about knowledge or just information. It's about application. And I believe wisdom is only wisdom if it's infused into relationships. So in our book, we talk about, Ron and I talk about wisdom minus relationships equals nothing. Wisdom plus relationships equals impact or influence. And Bill, if if wisdom is not infused and integrated into relationships, it's not a zero. It has to be in the context of relationships of how we live that out. And I believe that's where we, as we pursue Solomon's writings in Proverbs, 
we need to have that application and stretch us beyond our comfort zone so that we might grow in our faith. All right, Dan, I'm going to take a little break. You've got three adult children, two sons-in-laws, so that means you had the wisdom to save for weddings as father of the bride. Yes. <laughs> She's got, we, we, it's actually in our third one. Our son got married uh, this past September, okay. and uh, so we got all three kids married and graduated in five years. Come on. <laughs> you have my That's ad- wisdom. You That's have, wisdom. Yeah, it is wisdom. You have my admiration. Let me take a break. Dan Britton's our guest, and he's co-written a book uh, called The Wisdom Challenge, Life-Changing Principles and Lessons from Proverbs and the Life of King Solomon. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Back with Dan Britton. He is, serves as the field chief officer with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and he, along with Ron Forseth, has written a great book called The Wisdom Challenge Life Changing Principles and Lessons from Proverbs in the Life of King Solomon. Uh, Dan, I'd love to get back to some of these guidelines that you have in the book, uh, the, the three elements of the Wisdom Challenge, which is pursue, partner, and pass it on. I just want to ask you about the pursue part. Does that mean that we should be looking for people to do this challenge with? Yeah, we, we actually, uh, on our website, we just created an action plan that uh, you can download that talks about just trying to begin to make a list of those people God has put on your heart that you believe you can enter into a relationship to say, hey, I want, I want to go through Proverbs together. And I'm telling you, Bill, like I, I've done this, dozens and dozens of times. Ron has done it longer than I have. He's done it hundreds of times. And the thing that I've experienced is nobody ever says no. Like no one says, I, I don't want more wisdom. I don't want to journey with you through Proverbs. Like, it's like almost, when is anyone going, hey, I'd like to pray for you. And they go, no, I don't want prayer. Don't pray for me. You know, yeah. hey, I, hey, do you want to pursue wisdom? No, I, I just choose not to pursue wisdom. Thank you very much. Go find someone else. Every person that I've asked, and said, absolutely, thank you for the invitation. Mm-hmm. So we believe, we believe, Bill, that it's, it's an invitation to wisdom. And it's not really about, hey, doing it with me. It's so much as I'm inviting you into this journey to grow in wisdom. What do you say? Yeah. And everybody says yes. Like, like let's go. Yeah. Dan, why does God put such incredible value on wisdom? Well, it, it's interesting. I, in, in the book, we talk about the wisdom promise. And the wisdom promise, another way to say it is the nothing promise, because twice in Proverbs, both in Proverbs 3, verse 15, and then later on in Proverbs eight eleven, 
it literally says there's nothing more value. There's nothing more valuable than wisdom. All the rubies, all the jewels, all the riches in the world, there is nothing that tops wisdom. And so twice the nothing promise or the wisdom promise says there is nothing that can come even close, not even a close second to wisdom. And, and we believe that if, if we value wisdom, if we look at wisdom in that light, then we're, we're going we're gonna to pursue it every day. Like we're going to, and not only, and Bill, not only pursue it, but we're going to share it. We're going to multiply wisdom by creating a wisdom tree, wisdom legacy, by sharing it with other people. And why would you not want to do that? Totally. Yeah, that's right on. So, Dan, I know it's important to have a, a very healthy fear of the Lord, but having that can lead to wisdom, right? Yeah, you know, throughout the entire Proverbs, one thing that a lot of people like to pass over is the beginning of wisdom starts where? With the fear of the Lord. Right. Like, it, 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 it's plain, it's stated, Solomon mentions it over and over again. <clears throat> it's simply the fear of the Lord. And we kind of, I would say we water that down a little bit. And we don't really address it. We kind of go, oh, well, you know, that was back then. Or, hey, I'm best friends with Jesus. And, you know, you can't fear your best friend. And I think we miss the, the, the relevance and the power and the magnitude when Solomon says wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, Phil, how you grew up, but, man, my dad graduated from the Naval Academy. <laughs> I had two older brothers. And when my dad implemented his discipline, whoo. It was fear, <laughs> the fear of dad, right? Like right. the fear of dad. And his boundaries were, were solid and, and, and clear. And we knew that, hey, we can operate within these boundaries. But man, if we stepped outside that boundaries, there was a price to be paid. Right. There was a healthy and full understanding of the fear of my dad, Ed Britton. Right. Now, we knew he did that because he loved us not because he wanted to take something from us. And when we operated within those boundaries and we obeyed what he laid out as the family guidelines, we had full life. We had the abundance and the joy to operate within that. Well, in the same way that I did that with our kids, same way with our relationship with God, the father, that he has very clear boundaries. There's a fear of the Lord that we stepped outside the boundaries. He disciplines those he loves. And we need to operate within those boundaries. And when we do, we experience the abundant life, John 10, 10 says, the full life, the extra large life that we can operate within those boundaries. But let's not diminish or water down what it means to have a healthy understanding of the fear of God. Mm -hmm. Dan, on the cover of your book, The Wisdom Challenge, is a picture of a tree. So maybe you would talk about that. Does that have a significance? What is a, what is a wisdom tree? Well, we, we have a full chapter on the wisdom tree, and we talk about the last part about pass it on, that when you pass it on, you're planting another tree. And I remember when I was doing some reading, and, and I found this, this concept that they said, hey, the true fruit of an apple tree is not more apples. It's another tree. Mm. And I went, I had to like, go, whoa, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that, that is a huge spiritual concept that it's not about producing more fruit. It's about producing other trees. 
And so the wisdom tree concept is simply that I want to plant other trees, not just put more fruit on my tree. Mm -hmm. And we know that when we're passing on wisdom, Bill, that actually the true fruit isn't more fruit on my tree, but my fruit is growing on other people's tree. Like, imagine that, like my investment into other people that I'm discipling, I'm developing through the wisdom challenge or other tools and resources and concepts. And we're making disciple makers that our fruit is actually growing on other people's tree. And then they're actually planting other trees. Now that continues on for wisdom's legacy. Mm -hmm. So as we talk about wisdom, I, I have to backtrack in my head a little bit and think that are you taking knowledge and then applying knowledge? And that is in fact wisdom. I'm, yeah, just, I, I'm just thinking out loud here, Dan, so help me. You can, you can yeah, disagree yeah. with me all you want. No, no, I, I like it. Because, <clears throat> again, it has to, have, has to have application. And I think there's probably a million definitions of wisdom, right? We, you can look up your favorite teacher, your favorite pastor, your favorite writer, and come up with a million different definitions of, of wisdom. For me, when I read... Chuck Swindoll, who I listen to his podcast all the time, love his books, love the way he teaches, amazing man of God, finishing strong to the very end. So many people are crashing and burning these days, and yet he's, he's on the straight and narrow. And Chuck Swindoll says, wisdom is simply seeing things as God sees them. And like I'm like, that is a clean, simple definition, is, is if I could put the filter the God filter on. So everything that I see, everything that I do runs through like, Hey, approaching as if God would enter into this situation, that's wisdom. And I believe that's a great definition of wisdom for us as we step in and go, okay, it's not just knowing, but it's knowing and doing. It's putting that into action. Again, it's going back to infusing it into relationships so that we can be able to understand God's intention and purpose for our life. So, Dan, we just have 90 <clears throat> seconds left. Tell listeners about uh, the Wisdom Challenge. How do, they, how do they do it? How do they get access to it? Well, it's, it's, well, you don't have to buy the book to do it, but we'd love for you to buy the book to, to, to do it. We think it's a great tool to pass it on to someone, encourage someone. It takes 45 minutes to read. It's a short seven-chapter book. At the end, we have a, uh, a little journal section. But Bill, you can go to wisdomchallenge.com. It's a great website that we've created that has actually, you could actually start your own wisdom tree. You could put people's names in it and begin to see how God's using your legacy and your influence to multiply wisdom. We have action plans. We have videos. There's so much there on the website that you can be able to begin to journey. But I would say this, Bill, it's not about the book. It's not about the website. It's simply making a commitment saying, I want to pursue wisdom daily. I'm going to choose to partner with someone, maybe a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a family member, maybe a coworker, and then be able to pass it on. That's I, it. Pursue, I, partner, pass it on. I love it. Stop taking calls. We have a winner. Thank you so much, Dan Britton. Thank you. Thank you, Bill, <laughs> for having me on. It's been a delight uh, talking to you. Thank you for your book. The book is called The Wisdom Challenge, Life-Changing Principles and Lessons from Proverbs and the Life of King Solomon. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back with lots more.
are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Oh, how good are we at listening? I think that's getting to be more and more important as we are talking to people and sharing our faith and uh, learning how to communicate better because we're not doing that very well. I'm so glad to have Dr. Tim Mulhoff as my guest. He is the professor of communication at Biola University, and he's also co-director of the Winsome Conviction Project. He's the author of many books. I've read several of them, and I love them all. But the one that we're going to chat about today is called Winsome Conviction. And he is uh, on our studio line right now. Tim, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be with you again. Yeah, I always look forward to it. Um, This whole idea of having uh, the capacity to sit and listen to somebody is really challenging in this world today. Well, we're losing the ability, Bill. Think about it. When as a country, we need to talk about immigration, um, sexuality, gender, uh, critical race theory, we're losing the ability to sit down with a person that we disagree with and have a good, productive conversation. And I think there's a tipping point that's happening in our country, uh, 98% of Americans, think about that, Bill, when we can't agree on anything, 98% of us believe that incivility is a threat to our country, while 67% believe that we're at crisis levels of incivility. Wow. So I think the church can offer a difference. Wow. Tim, talk about the idea of prejudgment. What does that mean? Well, prejudgment means heading into the conversation. I've already made a judgment of your perspective. Uh, now, what I yeah, <laughs> that's not helpful. That. <clears throat> well, yeah, based on labels mostly, and where our news sources are coming from, or we do a whole chapter on is your small group an echo chamber mm-hmm. where you just share negative ideas about the other side, and that other side could be political, theological. So, if your group just constantly says. Critical race theory is one of the greatest threats to the church. We ought to ban it. I don't understand how anybody can adopt those kind of Marxist beliefs. And and that's all your group talks about is the negative aspects of critical race theory or somebody from a different political party. Then you have a conversation with a person who says, hey, I've been reading about critical race theory. I kind of like it. Well, they get bombarded by what your group has been saying, and now you just list the 15 things that your group has agreed on is negative about critical race theory, you're not listening anymore. You co-opted the talk stage, and now you're giving your rebuttal, not to that person, but to the idea of critical race theory, and listening has been thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. And we oftentimes, as Christians, assume that those of us who are sitting around us are sharing our beliefs. Not always the case. Well, the first book we wrote in this series was called Winsome Persuasion, mm-hmm. uh, Christian Influence in a Post-Christian World. Well, it's easier to talk, Bill, to somebody outside the Christian community. It's easier to talk to a non-Christian because I don't assume you hold my values. Right. So th- then when I sit down with somebody in the pew and they pull out this trump card, Bill, this is a beautiful trump card among Christians. Well, clearly the Bible says this. And you're like, hey, listen, one, it does not say that. It actually says the exact opposite (laughs) of what you think. Now you look at each other like, have you lost, uh, do you not read the Bible? (laughs) And that gets us off on so many tangents and feelings are hurt. We start to question each other's fidelity to Jesus. 
And then the communication climate starts to become rocky. Yeah, Tim, I was listening to your Winsome Conviction podcast, which is wonderful, by the way. Oh, and, thank you. Yeah, you were talking, uh, is it Richard Langer that you co-wrote this? Yeah, Rick, Rick, Langer, Rick Langer, my co-author and yes. co-podcast host. Yeah, yeah. and you made, you made a point which kind of jumped off uh, for me, which was we oftentimes just now trade conclusions with each other. Oh, I wish that was mine. I wish it was mine, but that's the Harbor Negotiation Project. Yeah, okay. That, that, that says, the, now listen, when the Harbor Negotiation Project says this is the biggest mistake we make, you just pay attention. And they said, <laughs> it is that, yeah, it's that we sit down and trade conclusions with each other. We don't share how we arrived at the conclusion. Yes. thought that was very interesting. Oh, and the backstory is so important to get, like, how did you arrive at these convictions? What books have you read, movies, uh, what um, YouTube videos are you watching? What has informed your perspective? What's been your journey? And then where do we agree with each other? Like, like we both could agree that race is important. Like, right, right? As, as a church, we got to deal with race. But now the question is, should we use critical race theory? Well, well, that's great that we established the fact that we both care about race and that the church ought to be active. We're just asking, should we use this one theoretical tool to help us do what we both agree God wants us to do. That's a much better place than just starting by disagreeing about critical race theory. Mm -hmm. In your book, uh, Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church, Dr. Tim Muehlhoff is my guest, of course, and I know you guys are giving uh, some great counsel and encouragement as to how to have disagreements uh, with one another in a productive way. Well, um, pastors are at their wit's end, though. I mean, coming off of a year of COVID. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and then before that was, of course, the murder of George Floyd. Right. Uh, Black Lives Matter. The, the election hasn't gone away. People are still angry about the election. Um, and, and so add all of that, and now let's come together and try to worship together when some of our people will wear a mask, some won't. Some thinks it's a conspiracy. So pastors are approaching us and saying, we, we need help on our communication climate, and we need help on how to actually have these conversations. Because if you don't have them, Bill, then it's called latent conflict. It's been pushed under the surface, but it has not gone anywhere, and it's actually ruining all of our conversations because of our, our where we started this interview, because of my attitude towards you is bleeding into the conversation. Wow. In, you, you say in the book, the goal of our uh, convictions is to guide our own conduct so that it is pleasing to Jesus, not to guide the conduct, the conduct of others. Well, this is where we're calling people back to spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, do, I do martial arts, Bill, um, and there's a saying from the founder of karate, spirit precedes technique which means you have to have the warrior spirit before you can punch kick. Well, we've adopted that and said we need the Holy Spirit before we get to uh, conflict resolution techniques. So I need to do what Jesus wants me to do, right? What does Peter say? Peter says, I want you not to give insult for insult. That's 1 Peter 3, 9. I want you to give a blessing instead. Now, listen, Jesus is telling me to do that. Now, I may look at the other person and say, dude, you need to be doing this. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm working on you, and I will use your kindness 
to work on that other person. But you need to do what you need to be a peacemaker, not a, a troublemaker. And, and I will deal with the other person, but I'm probably going to use your good conduct to, to uh, convict them and to be an example to them. And that is so unsatisfying, Bill. It is so <laughs> yeah. unsatisfying mm-hmm. to do that, right? Yeah. You talk about Christians, however, share a commitment to the authority of Scripture and therefore should share the same absolutes. Since convictions are about absolutes, we all share the same absolutes. All Christians should share the same convictions. So... Uh, we are still going to have disagreements and different perspectives and how do we navigate our way through things that we should all share as absolutes? Well, we're borrowing from C.S. Lewis's brilliant metaphor of the hallway of faith Mm -hmm. and then rooms off to the side of the hallway. So I think as an evangelical, uh, we can have confessional beliefs like uh, Jesus is Lord. Salvation is found in Christ alone. Jesus rose bodily from the grave. That's the hallway, and we want to keep the hallway really narrow. Now, rooms off the hallway would be, to me, theological things like, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? Do you believe God micromanages life, or do you believe that he gives us free will and we're kind of we can do things that are against his will. Are you an egalitarian or a complementarian, right? Do you believe that the man is the head of the marriage spiritually, or do you believe that they're co-leaders of the marriage? To me, those are rooms off the hallway that there's going to be disagreements about. So let's focus on the hallway and then give charity and intellectual humility to the disagreements we're for sure going to have, like the age of the earth, can a Christian be a theistic evolutionist? Can he believe that God used evolution, right? Now, Bill, here's what people do. They're not satisfied with that whatsoever, because my room is incredibly important, and I want to make it the hallway. <laughs> so then what we do is we weaponize our beliefs. So here, here's one example we use in the book. So, in a gal- so a complementarian who believes that the man is the spiritual head of the marriage and, women, and, and a wife would lovingly submit— they say, do you believe the Trinity is part of the hallway? And I'll say, yes, I think the Trinity is part of the hallway. Well, egalitarians, by the way that they um, apply the Bible, are undermining the Trinity. See how they see the move they just made? I'm going to attach my room to something in the hallway. Thus, you are wrong if you're an egalitarian. Mm. We call that weaponizing a belief. Okay. And so uh, let me give you another example. If you were to say, are you pro-life? Is being pro-life the hallway? I would say, yes, I believe it's the hallway. Fine. You cannot be a Democrat. Mm. You cannot be a Democrat because, see what I mean? I took a room off the hallway where we can disagree about politics, and I now tried to link it to somebody in the, something in the hallway. That's where we're having a breakdown, Bill, is having charitable Christian conversations about rooms off the hallway. Yeah, interesting, Tim. Um, you say in the book there's uh, some common beliefs about having strong convictions. I know you can name at least three. Uh, give me a little bit more on that because it's co-written. So this could be Rick Langer territory. Yeah. Um, well, there is just about if you're going to have strong convictions, um you're going to be dealing with um, certain principles and there's going to be some common beliefs. And I was throwing the line out, hoping that you would 
uh, understand what bobber is in the water right now. Yeah, so let me let me add from a communication standpoint what I think Rick is trying to get. Rick okay. is a theologian and a former pastor. So heading into this conversation, there's just a certain things I have to have done before I get there. One, I have to know my conviction. Is it rooted in Scripture? Mm-hmm. But secondly, is there an opposing view to this? You see, this is what we come across in some churches and even at Biola, Biola University. A person will know his or her conviction inside and out, but they've not read outside of that perspective. So I've not read uh, people who believe the earth is billions of years old because I'm a young earth person. So I know my position and I only read theologians or scientists who subscribe to my position. So when you and I get into a conversation, I better have been well-read. Yeah, now, no I don't kidding. need to agree with the things that I read, but I, I need to at least know the perspective. And here's one other question I'm going to throw into the mix that people won't like. Is it possible you're wrong in your position? If you've never read the other side, Bill, if I've never considered the other side, how do I know I'm right? Does great, that make sense? Uh, it's a great question. I've often said, uh, if you want to be a person of influence, are you willing to be influenced? Oh, I love that. Oh, that's really good. Or are you just so set in your ways that you've come to your conclusions, you ain't budging from them, and you're not going to look at any other perspectives? That's a difficult place to be. And Bill, wouldn't you agree that in today's argument culture, that really describes where we're at today? I think so, that, yeah. That, yeah, I'm rooted. I, and here's what makes it harder when you're a Christian. This is my biblical conviction, and I will not move off of what God's Word says. I'm not moving one inch off of what God's Holy Word says. And I want to say, hey, good for you, but you'd have to be pretty closeted not to know that there's a massive disagreement about what Romans 9, 10, and 11 means. I mean, you know, there's a great series that's put out uh, called the Four Views series, and it's so frustrating to read. Are you familiar with this series, Bill, the Four I'm not, Views I'm not, I wish I was. Yeah, so I think InterVarsity puts a version of this out. So they take an issue, let's say Young Earth, okay? They'll take four theologians or four Christian scientists. One will say, absolutely, it's Young Earth. One will say, there's no way, in, there's no way it's Young Earth. The two middle ones are more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. So every time one states their opinion, the three comment. Now, here's what's so frustrating and beautiful about this series. I have my students read these. So, Bill, when they're done, they're like, well, I have have no idea what to believe. Because everybody made sense. Everybody went to the Greek. Everybody produced data. Everybody was articulate, and I'm sitting there now thinking, I have no idea what to believe. And we hate that ambiguity. We hate it. Mm -hmm. So I would just simply say, don't be discouraged. These are all godly men and women who have studied this. I think it shows that there's some flexibility in this particular issue because you've got really committed Christ followers who are arguing different positions. I think that ought to give us just a little bit of comfort that most issues are not very um, simple and cut and dry unless we're talking about the hallway. Mm-hmm. But we're not, young earth is not the hallway. Now, some of your listeners are probably pulling their hair out right now <laughs> because they're saying young earth is the hallway because then 
and I want to be charitable. They'll say, okay, if it's not young earth, then we have to reinterpret what the Bible is saying to us, and we can no longer trust the Bible. And I'm saying, no, we can trust the Bible, but just know it's complex enough that men and women, godly men and women, can interpret it in different ways and feel affirmed by the Holy Spirit and affirmed by their study. And that is, when I was in seminary, that's what my systematics prof said. That is the mystery of theology. Mm-hmm. Tim, let me take a short break. Dr. Tim Muehlhoff is my guest. He's written a book called Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church. We'll be back after a short break. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Do I love you? Oh my, do I, honey? Welcome back to the show. Dr. Tim Muehlhoff is my guest today. He's professor of communication at Biola University, and he's also co-director of the Winsome Conviction Project. Uh, Tim, right before we went to break, uh, you know, we were talking about um, what context for me, when I read a piece of scripture, maybe I've even memorized it 25 years ago, but Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And sometimes 25 years later, I get fresh insight to a passage and then I learn exactly what the passage means. And maybe for 25 years, I didn't quite have it right. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> oh, never, Bill. Okay, never. Good. I feel so bad for you. Like, what, what's going on with you? <laughs> All right, so let me, let me give you an illustration. So I'm an uh, author with InterVarsity Press, okay? So they, they periodically send us books. So here's a, I literally have it in my hand, Bill. Here's what it's called. I changed my mind about evolution. Evangelicals reflect on faith and science. Mm. Okay, so I get the book. Now, Biola University is unapologetically, we do not subscribe to theistic evolution. Okay, um, so we just don't do that. You could not teach at Biola University if you believe that God used evolution, right? We, we make no apologies about that, right? Okay. So the book comes across my desk. I open it and I go, oh, well, they're wrong, right? They're wrong. Even though you read who's, who's in the book, it's who's who of Christian. It's James K.A. Smith, uh, oh, Scott wow. McKnight. Um, Temper Longman III, Francis Collins, and I look at it, right, a former theater major, a PhD in communication, and Bill, I look at it and go, nope, and I just throw it on my desk. Mm -hmm. Nope. I've never read, Bill, I've never read a word of it, and yet I'm absolutely convinced they're wrong because of my position. Right. That's what I'm talking about. I should be able to read that book. Now, listen, maybe if the book was convincing, maybe I go back and have to reinterpret Genesis 1 to 3, and maybe I can't teach at Biola University anymore. 
right? Because if I change my mind about that issue, I have to sign a doctoral statement every year. I'm not going to be able to teach at this institution. So here's what Biola does that is good. We're not saying you can't be a theistic evolutionist. We're just saying in our community, this is what we believe, and we're not going to back away from it. So you can't teach here, but let's be charitable to the people who believe something different. Because the names I just read, these are people with impeccable credentials as evangelicals. Now, can we disagree on this issue? Yeah. I'm reading uh, James K.A. Smith's book on Augustine on the Road. Yes. It is brilliant. Oh, Bill. I've had him on. I've had him on the show talking about it. Isn't it? It is an amazing, it's one of my top books of the last, easily last five years. Yeah, it's very interesting. So guess what? We can agree on Augustine. We're going to disagree on this issue, but let's still have fellowship with each other and let's pursue the hallway, right? That's the kind of tension I think we're just going to have to live with inside our church, inside our small groups, and inside a Christian university like Biola, but people don't like that tension. Yeah. And Jesus says, beware of false teachers. So how do we use our discernment to know what's true and what's false? Well, I think uh, we have to first use good Bible study methods to determine what the hallway is. These are our confessional beliefs. This is what it means to be evangelical, right? So let me be clear. I'm picking on a hallway that is clearly evangelical, right? I may have some brothers and sisters who believe the Bible is inspired but not inerrant. It may have some mistakes along the way, okay? Again, you're not teaching at Biola University with that belief, but let me not attack you, and let me still say that you're my brother and sister in Christ. Mm-hmm. Man, Bill, that is a dance we, don't, we are not doing a good job at. We're just, and you know who, who does a really nice job of this is Tim Keller. In a, a few of his books, he's been very charitable to people that he disagrees with, but leaves room that both can be in the camp of being an evangelical Christian. Don't we want to try to build as many bridges as we can to not only our brothers and sisters in Christ, but the lost world? Well, this is why I think those two books are a good tandem mm-hmm. uh, with some persuasion and with some conviction. Because, Bill, I'm gonna, so let me say something quite controversial, maybe. You, you have to be pretty insulated to really have such passionate intramural disagreements. But when you realize the threat that the church is facing today, like, listen, I'm not going to, let's not get political. President Biden never hid what his agenda was going to be. He always had a problem with religious freedom to a certain extent and has always been pro LGBTQ. That should not surprise any of us. And his vice president is from California. We know a lot about her. So now the Equality Act is coming to the doorstep of of conservative Christian universities like Biola, Westmont, Wheaton, uh, Azusa, and now there's a lawsuit. They're going after Cal Baptist and other universities because you cannot deny a person their preferred gender. You cannot say to a person, well, you have to live in the female dormitory because your birth certificate says that you're female. This lawsuit is saying you are discriminating based on sex and you cannot do that. So guess what? We're going to be in a lawsuit that is most likely going to go to the Supreme Court. When you realize how real the threats are to our very existence of Biola University, I hope, Bill, we would set aside these 
intramural conversations as important as they are because we have a real threat that's coming to our doorstep that threatens the very existence of a, of a conservative school like Biola University. We better get we better be rowing in the same direction when we meet this external threat. And that's the danger of us not rowing in the same direction because we're so passionate about these rooms off the hallway, we're forgetting that there's a very real threat that wants to stamp out our existence. Mm-hmm. We're listener supported here, uh, Tim. We've been around 73 years. But mm. at what point do protesters show up in front of our doors saying the biblical convictions we have is hate speech? Oh, it's coming, Bill. It, it almost hit us uh, before the election. Uh, first, President Trump, when he was first elected, there was a bill called Senate Bill 1136, I think it was, mm-hmm. that was going through Sacramento. And was, and we were going to have a legal challenge on that, saying a person can choose their own gender identity and you cannot disagree with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we were ready for the fight. And then President Trump got elected and the um, people that were pushing the bill now felt that there was a greater threat than just conservative Christian schools. But now President Trump, we dodged the bullet briefly. But now with the Equality Act, Bill, I think this is going to have an effect on the church, on Christian organizations like Faith Radio and Biola. It's going to be a willowing of the American church. Mm-hmm. A lot. We're kind of fat right now with people who are like, yeah, I'm a... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a conservative. Sure, sure. Put me down. <laughs> because it doesn't cost them anything. Yeah. Now, if it's going to cost you something, now we're going to see a willowing of the church. And maybe at the end of the day, we're going to be this lean, mean community that, hey, listen, I, I can trust the person to the left and to my right. Yeah. We're taking the shot. Because we're in this position, but when we when we fight back, I hate using that phrase. We better do it in a way that's winsome and Christlike. I agree, Tim. Thanks so much for doing the show. It's been a delight. You bet. Thank you, Bill. Bye-bye. Always enjoyed being with you. My guest has been Dr. Tim Mulehoff, and his book is Winsome Conviction: Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.